So I know we've been blessed. We had some special Christmas messages, and then we had some guest speakers, and I know you guys were blessed last Sunday morning with Pastor Justin sharing. I was blessed uh, watching it online while I was recovering. And we are not going to get back to Ephesians this morning, though. This time of the year, I always do a prophecy update. And it's a little bit challenging this year because when you consider that we studied prophecy from November 2019 when we started Daniel all the way through to just September of this year uh, or this last year, it can, be, uh, you know, it can be challenging to do a prophecy update because you don't want to just rehash what you've already taught for two years. In addition to that, prophecy updates are always a challenge because there are inherent dangers when you attempt to do one. You can very easily venture into the realm of the unbiblical for the sake of attempting to be clever or to find something interesting. I would recommend to you, if you listen to a weekly uh, update, prophecy update, stop, because there's not enough going on that they need to do one weekly. They're likely venturing into the realm of the unbiblical or the realm of the sensational to be interesting. I don't think that's necessary. But I do think it's good to look at the past year and, and to think about where we've, where we've been and how that fits into what God says he's going to do. Now, to ensure that we don't fail the challenge, we need to set up some ground rules before we start if we're going to look at current events and correctly understand how they might fit into biblical prophecy. Uh, number one ground rule that we have to set up is this Bible is very clear that no one knows the day or the hour of Jesus' return to rapture his church. You have to understand that. I, I'm frequently asked by no one meaning any harm, they're just excited about things they see, and they'll say, Pastor Will, do you think, and then they'll fill in the blank current event, do you think this current event means Jesus is coming back soon? Uh, the answer to that question will always be, there are no signs that make the rapture of the church closer, because it's been imminent from the moment Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1. We've been told to look for Jesus, the same Jesus who left this way, he's going to return. And so we're, we've been told to look, to wait, to be excited, and to be ready. We don't have to look and go, who's the president, or what's Russia doing, or what's going on in Israel to get excited about the return of Christ. There is no current event that should make us want to be more ready or more excited about Jesus' return. We should always be ready and excited, amen? Amen. That, that's something it should be. It's part of what our DNA at Calvary Chapel Orlando is that we have an end times excitement. We are looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Not Antichrist, Jesus Christ. So, so that's a, a ground rule we need to lay out. The second ground rule we need to lay out if we're going to tackle this challenge and, and be successful is that the mystery of iniquity, that's Satan's plan, the mystery of iniquity is always at work but our enemy does not have control over the full implementation of his plan. He doesn't have control of that. He is always trying to bring it into being, but he doesn't have control over the ability to actually make it happen, to bring it to pass. Because of that, we can find many time periods in history that could have been the stage being set for the end. You can understand why you'll read the writings of people throughout church history who said, oh, the end is here. Here's the Antichrist, or this is what's going on here or here. There's nothing wrong with people doing that because the mystery of iniquity is always at work. Second Thessalonians makes that very clear. But it says that we cannot look at anything then in history or presently now that the enemy might be doing as definitive. Because while the things we see may indeed be the work of Satan setting up for the end, God can step in at any moment and say, not yet. Your plan does not match with my plan yet. And therefore, God can wreck all of the enemy's plans and force Satan to start over. And I think if you look at history, he's done that many times. So we need to understand that when you're going to start looking at things like Russia or Europe or the rise of the Antichrist or things like that, we can never speak definitively because it may indeed be Satan working, but God can put the kibosh on it at any moment and set him right back to step one. So that's the second ground rule. The third ground rule we need to set up is that there are definitive things we can look at that are clearly part of God's plan, that God says are going to happen. And if we start seeing those thing ha things happen, we can start to get an idea of the times or the seasons, not the day or the hour, but the time or the season we're in because no one can put a stop to God's plan, all right? So those are our ground rules. 
So what are the things that God says are part of his end times plan? Well, there are three definitive topics that we see in Scripture that God says are part of his end times plan prior to the great tribulation. Number one, in Ezekiel 36 and 37, God predicted that the nation of Israel would be reborn in the last days. That's number one. Number two, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, God predicted that that reborn nation of Israel would be then invaded by Russia, Iran, Turkey, Sudan, other North African and Middle Eastern nations at a time. Israel will be invaded by these groups at a time when Israel considers itself to be at peace with its neighbors. That's what Ezekiel 38 makes very clear. They'll consider themselves to be at peace with their neighbors. That's the second thing. The third part of God's definitive plan before the Great Tribulation is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, the, the Great Tribulation, the return of Christ. That day shall not come, not the rapture, but the return of Christ to rule and reign. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The word falling away there is an apostasy. God predicts that there will be an apostasy in the church just before the end times calendar starts rolling, when we start seeing the events of Daniel and Revelation begin to happen. So, when we were to see these three predictions converging together, that begins to paint a clearer picture of where we are in God's prophetic timeline. So the question we will ask this morning and seek to answer is, do we see these three lines of predictions converging? Do we see that? And did anything happen in 2021 that gives us an idea that they're moving closer together? Well, we look at the first line of prediction is Israel's rebirth as a nation. Israel experienced its rebirth as a nation in 1948, so there's not really a, a need to discuss that fulfillment of prophecy this morning. It's already happened. It's already established. That line is set in place. We know we are at least closer to the end because of that. However, I do think it's important to understand the history from 1948 to January 2022. Israel has been either in a state of war or hostility with all of its neighbors since their rebirth in 1948. Now, Egypt did sign a peace treaty with Israel in 1979, and then Jordan, the nation of Jordan, signed a peace treaty with Israel in 1994. But that is not exactly a vote for peaceful times. If you only have two of the multitudes that the, in the high teens of nations that are surrounding Israel that have all been in a state of war or hostility with Israel since 1948. Well, in 2020 and 2021, that situation dramatically changed. We know that God says that Israel's gonna be invaded by, by a Russia-led coalition when they believe they are at peace. And we have seen a rapidity of peace agreements with Israel in the last, I would say, 14 to 16 months. In September of 2020, Bahrain, Israel, and the United Arab Emirates signed the Abraham Accords. That was a peace initiative between Israel and the Muslim nations who, have, who had no di diplomatic relations with the nation of Israel. Over the next few months last year, or two years ago in 2020, Sudan, Morocco, and Kosovo also joined the Accords, normalizing relations with Israel. That had not been the case for almost 75 years. And all of a sudden, you had six nations that were normalizing relations with Israel in one year, in just a few months. In fact, this year, Morocco and Israel signed a formal cybersecurity agreement to share information, research, and development on cyber warfare in July of 2021. On August 11th, Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid visited Morocco, a first in history for the nation of Israel. On December 12th, 2021, not even a month ago, Naftali Bennett became the first Israeli prime minister to visit the United Arab Emirates as the two nations opened up embassies in one another's countries for the first time in history. Oman and Saudi Arabia have talked about joining the Abraham Accords, and Morocco is likely next on tab to open up an embassy in Israel. That, this is crazy. I mean, these are things that I would have not expected to have happened with, with such rapidity, and yet in the last 14 to 16 months, all of this has happened. 
Now, this brings us one step closer to the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38.11. Ezekiel 38.11 is still standing in the way of that invasion happening right now. In Ezekiel 38.11, it says, and you shall say, this is this Russia-led coalition, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, Israel. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. If you have been to Israel recently, that is not the case right now. There is a huge wall that separates the nation of Israel from the West Bank, and then, of course, they've got one that they're building in Gaza, and they're continuing to build in other areas that are vulnerable right now. That has to come down. Israel has to be at a place where they sense that they are at peace with their neighbors. So while we are closer to that, we're not there yet. And yet, the lightning speed of these multiple nations making peace with Israel after almost 75 years of hostility is pretty amazing. Now, while peaceful relations with Israel did grow at lightning speed, unfortunately, we saw an escalation of anti-Israeli sentiments from their enemies still. In Algeria, Algeria's Morocco's neighbor, uh, they did not like the deal that Morocco made with Israel. In fact, Algeria blamed Israel for the wildfires that devastated their country uh, this last summer. I don't know how Israeli people would be, uh, you know, in the Middle East, would be responsible for that in North Africa, but what do I know? On August 25th, uh, Algeria announced their decision to cut all diplomatic ties with Morocco because of their move to, quote, bring the Zionist entity closer to Algeria's border. I don't think Israel's expanded their borders into North Africa yet, but again, what do I know? Just after that, Algeria reaffirmed their defensive cooperation pact with, guess who? Russia. They held a joint economic commission to discuss greater partnership options with Russian leadership. So that still has to change. You have the nation of Iran. Just last month, a group associated with the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the army in Iran, they released a video showing a simulated attack on Israel's nuclear facility in the city of Dimona. Rather than try to explain the video to you, I'm going to have it played for you now. Um, It is a little bit lengthy, uh, but the music is worth it. That's picturing the Israeli nuclear facility. I'll tell you what that translates to later on. that can hit Israel from Iran. Those are suicide drones.
little overly dramatic, but they're trying to make a point. The video quotes words at the beginning when you saw the Arabic there. Those are words from the Quran, which state, and I quote, then on, the, on that day we will deal you the fiercest blow. We will surely inflict punishment against Israel. The simulated missile attack was part of a five-day war games drill called the Great Prophet 17, in which 12 ballistic missiles and suicide drones destroyed a remote target in the desert that was to represent this uh, nuclear facility in Demona, Israel. Uh, Iran's Armed Forces Chief of Staff Major General Mohammed Bagheri told state television 16 missiles were aimed and they annihilated the chosen target in this exercise. This is just part of the hundreds of Iranian missiles capable of destroying a country that would dare to attack Iran. The Tehran Times, Tehran Times ran a headline on its front page just after the video was posted that said, One Wrong Move, and it gave a, a list of previous attacks where they believe that Israel had provoked them to take action. In November, the spokesman for the Islamic Republic of Iran's armed forces stated, and I quote, we will not back off from the annihilation of Israel even one millimeter. We want to destroy Zionism in the world. That's their foreign policy with Israel. So we still have a problem with Iran. And then, of course, there's Russia. You know, after the Soviet Union fell, many critiqued Bible prophecy teachers, you know, saying, ah, see, you guys saw Russia everywhere, and now Russia's no more. Well, the old bear is front and center in the world, world events yet again, aren't they? Daniel 7, if you turn there real quick, I know we covered this when we went through Daniel. I just want to reference it real quick one more time. But in Daniel 7, it lists for us the four world powers that will be on the scene at the end. Of course, you have the Antichrist, his coalition is one of those world powers, but another world power is going to be Russia. The second power that's mentioned is this bear. In Daniel 7, verse 5, it says, And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear. And it raised up itself on one side, and it had three, it means it's on the move. And it had three ribs already in its mouth, uh, between its teeth, it's munching on those, but it's on the move, and it was told them, saying, Arise, devour much flesh. So when the end times uh, begins, this bear, this Russia, is going to already be munching on the three ribs, munching on things that are outside its territory, that it is already taken control of, it's munching on, and it's instructed to devour even more. So that's how we know the scene will be for Russia right before the end times start. Now, in 2008, Russia fought a war against the nation of Georgia. It took two of those regions, who then those two regions declared themselves as separate republics from Georgia, of course, loyal to Russia. Russia annexed uh, Crimea in 2014, and now they're a part of the nation of Russia. And then late last year, just a few weeks ago, Russia moved 100,000 troops to the Ukrainian border, threatening that if NATO did not return to its pre-1997 borders, they would be forced, Russia would be forced to invade Ukraine uh, to protect their own borders, to put a buffer between them and NATO. Now, why would Russia all of a sudden in 2022 be concerned with NATO? Well, Finland and Sweden are two nations that were, have been neutral all throughout. You, had the, you, know, you learn about it after World War II, you got NATO, and then you got the Warsaw Pact. Finland and Sweden were two nations that were completely neutral. They didn't join either of those groups. And those two nations recently have been strengthening ties with NATO. The Ukraine has talked about joining NATO. Uh, the president of Finland, in fact, uh, fired back when uh, Putin gave his own uh, ultimatum against NATO. He fired back with his own ultimatum against Russia just two days ago. And he said, if you attack the Ukraine, that will ensure that we will join NATO. You attack the Ukraine, we're joining NATO. And we're also going to encourage Sweden, Austria, Ireland, Cyprus, and Malta to join us. So there's a lot of rhetoric amongst these nations that had been prior to recent times neutral in the Russia-Europe kind of, you know, antagonism that's been going on there for, you know, a long time. These nations are planning on possibly joining NATO and having very strong rhetoric about it, which would give us for the first time ever a fully unified Europe under one head. This is literally just days old in the news. It's going on right now as we speak. 
So the question, of course, you know, I ask lots of questions. I think you can only ask questions with this because this is part of the mystery of iniquity, so we can't know for sure. But are Georgia, Crimea, and the Ukraine part of those three ribs that are going to be in the bear's mouth? I don't know. It's interesting, Russia's also talked about annexing the country of Moldova. So, you know, are, are they also part of the three ribs or maybe part of the more flesh that Russia will devour just right before the start of the Great Tribulation? I don't know. Is the entrance of these formerly neutral European nations into NATO a precursor to the Antichrist revived Roman Empire as it would finally unite all Europe under one he- heading? Maybe, I don't know. But could that become the point of conflict that causes the Antichrist to rise and then bring peace to the world, to somehow secure peace with Russia? And then, of course, if Russia invades the Middle East and then five-sixths of their army gets wiped out by God supernaturally to come and bring a peace with Israel and the rest of the world? I don't know, but it could be. Could it be that Russia feels forced to move farther into the Middle East because a solidified Europe is now opposed to them? Could dealing with the only nation in the Middle East that opposes their plans there be the hook that draws them to initiate the invasion of Ezekiel 38 and 39? Again, I don't know. Only God's plan is certain, and only God, you know, God knows for sure when his plan will snap into place, and therefore he'll allow Satan's plan to snap into place. But I can tell you this seeing one piece already in place for sure, Israel's rebirth, and the second piece converging alongside it, the situation that is described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, gives us reason to start looking to see if that third definitive part that signifies God's final plan is actually in motion is happening. And that third part is apostasy in the church. So what do we find in the church? Well, I don't think I need to, I've been talking about this for years, so I don't think I'm saying anything new when I say that apostasy is occurring within the church, not just in the United States, but worldwide. But I did think it important to address a few topics where I've seen in the last year apostasy begin to move strongly in a certain direction. We are given a description in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, of what apost- that apostasy will look like in the church in the last days. Too often I hear people, they will describe 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, this also know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters, and they read through the list and they go, and look at what's going on in the world. That is not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is, this is what's going to happen in the church. Now, when we look at some of these things, I have noticed a few areas that I've seen the church apostatizing rapidly in the last uh, year or two. One area is Christianity is losing its prophetic view of Israel. It is losing its prophetic view of Israel. A Barna Research Group recently conducted in July of 2021 a study regarding how Christians today feel about Israel and its place in the world. This study found that only 11.9% of Christians under the age of 30 say they have support for Israel. In other words, that they support Israel's right to exist as a nation. 11.9% of Christians under the age of 30. That's crazy. 45.4% of that age group of Christians say they support the Palestinian cause. What's the Palestinian cause? To take Israel out of the land and to give the land back to them, which they would say is it's originally ours, that the Palestinian cause is that Israel are usurpers and thieves. They've taken the land from the Palestinians. 45.4% of Christians under the age of 30 support that. When Hamas fired rockets into Israel during the 11-day war of 2021, only 31.2% of Christians under 30 said that they were sympathetic to Israel's plight. That's an incredibly low number. I love what one research article on the topic of waning belief amongst Christians that Israel's in the land because God put them there, that God prophesied they'd be back there and they should be there. One research article on this topic of waning belief in that idea said this. You'll find it interesting. This is not a Calvary Chapel article. It said this, and I quote, the problem is that far too few pastors teach chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. If all pastors were engaged in systematic expository teaching through the Old Testament, in addition to the New Testament, then the story and the importance of Israel would be hard to miss. But many aren't. 
Maybe we should start doing that. I remember even within our own movement, there was mocking for pastors who would teach Leviticus and Deuteronomy recently. We aren't teaching the word in church anymore, and so our young people don't know what God says about prophecy. They don't know what God says about his plan for Israel. And I will tell you this, if we don't correctly understand God's plan for Israel and God's faithfulness to his promises to Israel, how can we correctly understand God's plan for the church and his promises to the church? If we don't understand his faithfulness to the promises he made in the Old Testament, how can we believe that he'll be faithful to the promises he's made in the New Testament? We can't. We cannot correctly understand those truths. And so you need to understand those things. I love what the article went on to say. This is what we recommend. What we recommend is that instead of dumbing things down in children's ministry and high school ministry, that you teach through the Bible in those ministries just like you do in big church. And I thought, hey, maybe we should start doing that too. (laughs) We already do that. We don't dumb anything down for your kids. If your kids are in there, in fact, I would say they're probably getting more deep than you guys are because they're far less stubborn than we are as adults. They're more open to receiving what the Lord has to say. Whereas there are times I'll start talking and sometimes people just be like, nope, I don't want to hear that. Now, this type of misunderstanding, this biblical misunderstanding, it leads to unbiblical behavior. Behavior described as part of the falling way of the church just before the great tribulation begins. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. What will they be like? What is it going to be like in the church in this apostasy? It says men will be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemers. They'll be disobedient to parents. They'll be unthankful. They'll be unholy. They won't have natural affection. They'll be truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, They'll be despisers of those that are good. They'll be traitors. They'll be heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And here's how you know it's talking about the church and not the world, having a form of godliness but denying the power of it. And then Paul says, from such turn away. Don't listen to them. Turn away. Go in a different direction. Now, One trait that I noticed that was on the rise in the church in this past year was blasphemy. When Naftali Bennett replaced Benjamin Netanyahu as the new prime minister of Israel, a well-known American pastor wrote an open letter. In other words, he published this publicly. It wasn't something he just wrote privately to the prime minister of Israel. He, He published it publicly, okay? In the letter, he called Naftali Bennett a disgusting disappointment. And he accused him of, and I can't quote it exactly because there's an expletive in it, bleeping on the face of all U.S. Christians. He also called on his 7 million followers to go into the opposition against Israel because of their new leader. Now, this pastor later apologized for using such language. But he's got 77 million people who follow him. He's got a large congregation He's using foul language to slander another man publicly in an open letter. He later apologized for using that type of language, but I am finding that this type of language, this type of slander is common place for Christians today. A previous president who worked very hard to make the Abraham Accords a success turned against Netanyahu in an October interview with an Israeli reporter. He called Netanyahu disloyal, and then he declared... Again, I cannot quote it because it's an expletive. He dropped an F-bomb. He said, bleep him. The Reawaken America tour, a largely Christian-backed group, was caught on a video in Cornerstone Church in Texas in November chanting, let's go Brandon, which is a euphemism for profanity. I hope none of you use that phrase because I can assure you Jesus would never use that phrase. And while the church there in Cornerstone asked for forgiveness for what occurred on their premises, this tour is backed by Charisma Magazine and populated by well-known Christian speakers like Charlie Kirk and Clay Clark, individuals who I've seen speaking even in Calvary chapels. 
These are individuals who claim the name of Christian. By their own admission, they are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I cannot imagine Jesus stooping to such profanity to make his point to say, bleep the Pharisees, or let's go Brandon. I cannot imagine that. And what I'm finding, and it's very sad, is that most Christians that follow these individuals, they have no problem with that language. All the individuals who have been speaking up about the current president and all of his failures, which I believe are many, did not come out and speak out and criticize the previous president for using an expletive to refer to Netanyahu. These Christians have no problem with this type of language or using such language themselves. And yet, Paul the Apostle says that part of the end times is that men will be blasphemers. The word blasphemers here, it means those who speak evil of another person publicly, those who rail or slander another person publicly. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it tells us that even the angels don't do that before the Lord concerning wicked prophets and wicked spirits. It says in verse 11 of 2 Peter chapter 2, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, do not bring a railing accusation against them before the Lord. If angels won't even utter such thing against wicked angels and false prophets who defy God openly each day and drag thousands to hell with them, why do we think it's okay for us to do it against those we deem to be wicked people? And so while, yes, there's been a COVID-19 pandemic that's been going on for two years, but may I suggest that there's also a pandemic of the potty mouth in the body of Christ, a pandemic of blasphemy in the church. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17, we find a clear command from God that still applies to us. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 8, Peter, who lived in a time of opposition, the Roman government took his own life, beheaded him, or crucified him upside down. But this is what he had to say. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another, loving like brothers, being pitiful, it means being tenderhearted, being courteous, it means being nice. Not rendering evil for evil or railing, slander and insult for railing, slander and insult. But contrarywise, when you're slandered and insulted, instead, give a blessing. Give a blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life, anybody here want to have a good life? Have a life that you love? Anybody want to see good days? I'm, I'm up for that. Then let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil. The word there, it it, it means to turn away from evil and let him do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are open over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Listen, don't you want God's eyes to be watching over you? Don't you want his ears open to your prayers when you're crying out to him? Well, then don't do evil because the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. We cannot with one breath be like, oh, Lord, bless my family and bless my finances and Lord, help me to walk with you and this and that and the other thing and then we're out there stinking whatever, railing on people, yelling at the neighbor or the coworker or the boss or the politician or who knows. Verses 8 and 9 are a clear command from God. They're not a suggestion. It's not an option to respond with, to slander or railing with blessing. It's a command to not respond with railing, but with blessing. And then that command comes with a beautiful promise to those who will obey it and a heavy warning to those who will disobey it. Now, I know there will be some who will say, really, Pastor Will, of all the things to address as problems in our world, you're going to bring up profanity? But I think therein lies the rub. 
Paul listed blasphemy, railing, slander, and speaking evil of other people publicly as a sign of the end in the church. But generally, it seems like Christians don't care. They don't see it as a big deal. I have to expose. I have to speak the truth. I have found in the last four or five years of counseling marriages and families that profanity is deemed an appropriate form of communication in both marriage and parenting because, well, everybody talks that way now. Well, I guarantee you Jesus doesn't. I guarantee you Jesus did not. And if we're to be faithful ambassadors for him, we should not either. Now, much of this blasphemous mindset, it stems from another thing that Paul mentioned the church would begin to embrace. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, Paul also lists off something that I've seen growing over the last few years. He says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 3, he says that they are without natural affection, that they are incontinent, and that they are fierce. The word incontinent means without self-control. They have no ability to control their mouths, their, their actions, their behaviors. They just rattle off whatever comes to mind. He says they're fierce. The word they're fierce, it means not tame. It means savage. It's interesting because we even use the word savage today as a compliment when someone successfully roasts another person publicly. Oh man, that was great. You were savage. That should not be a way that we're ever described. Without natural affection, it means unloving, hard-hearted, not just towards one another, but just towards the common man. Jesus' warning and promise in Matthew chapter 24 is still very applicable to us today in verses 11 through 13 of Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 11 through 13. Jesus describing the times of the end, he said, listen, Many false prophets are going to arise and they're going to deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, because lawlessness, this lack of self-control, this savage nature, this lack of natural affection, this hard-heartedness towards the common man, because that's going to be overflowing, he says, the love of many shall wax cold. The word wax there is in the passive, which means shall be made to grow cold. Who's making it grow cold? The false prophets. Who are false prophets? A false prophet is someone who claims to speak for God, but they don't actually teach what God says in his word. It is someone who claims to speak for God, but they don't actually say what God says in his word. And they are trying to make your heart grow cold. You need to stop listening to them. And instead, you need to cling to the promise, but in contrast to those who listen and their hearts grow cold, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You need to turn from that and endure to the end. What does it mean to endure to the end? It means stay the course. Stay the course. Keep blessing those who curse you, right? Keep, you know, you want to love life, see good days, live at peace, pursue it. The apostasy will be is that many will not endure. They will let these false prophets crush the flame Jesus put in our hearts. They will let these false prophets snuff out the work that God's Spirit wants to do in our lives and replace it with a false gospel that is without self-control and that is savage. Now, what does it all mean? Well, I I believe that I see all three of these points converging together at rapid speed in the last couple years. Does that mean the end is here? I don't know. I know Israel's already in place. I know we're seeing peace initiatives like crazy in the last two years happen that I never would have dreamed would have happened that quickly. And I'm seeing more signs of apostasy in the church in the description that Paul gave. So I can say that some of the pieces are in place and it looks like some of the pieces are moving to their place. Israel is a nation. They are moving towards peace with their neighbors, a peace that will be shattered by an aggressive Russia leading a coalition against them. And apostasy is abounding as biblical understanding among Christians leads them to justify opposition to Israel's existence as a nation, leads them to justify profane behavior. 
False prophets are everywhere chilling the hearts of those who claim to represent Jesus Christ as our passions become something far different than the one Jesus gave to us. So, I don't know, but it looks like they're converging. So the big question then is, how should we live in light of this convergence of these events? What should our approach be in 2022? We've got a new year in front of us. What should our focus be? What should our approach be to how we should live in 2022 in light of these convergence of events? Well, thankfully, Peter already asked that question and then answered it for us. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 with me. Very often, you know, we might hear a message like this, we might think to ourselves, I've heard these messages for years, Pastor Will, and I don't think anything's happening. Peter starts off in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 by saying, but beloved, you know, you see these scoffers, you see the time, it looks just like the days of Noah when the Lord flooded the earth and everyone said nothing would happen and people were saying nothing will happen now. He says, beloved, you who are greatly loved by God, do not be ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is just one day. God evaluates time way differently than we do. We might look up and go, Lord, how much longer do we have to deal with this? And the Lord's going, time is very different than me, and my focus is very different than yours. For it says in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Father above is looking down and he's saying, I know you're saying how long, but I'm saying I want more in. (laughs) I want more into the kingdom. There are still people that can be saved. There's still people that are open to the gospel. There's still people I'm bringing into the kingdom. So my answer is, not yet. And yet, when it does happen, it will happen like that. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There's going to come a time when that plan goes into motion, and it will rapidly come to an end, and everything that we might hold dear here will be gone, to which I say, come quickly. There'll be no United States of America. There's going to be, your house will be gone. All the things you've got in your house will be gone. And I trust, trust me, you won't be shedding a tear. It's going to happen like that. Verse 11, here he asks the question. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Seeing someday there'll be no United States of America. There'll be no Florida. There'll be, there'll be no your home. There'll be no neighborhood like that. Everything will be different. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, conduct, and godliness? What kind of lives should we be living right now to be godly people, to be, have holy conduct? Looking for, because this is what we're looking for, and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Well, the answer is found in verses 14 and 15. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given to him, has written unto you. In other words, I'm not the only one who's given you this answer. Paul also gave you this answer. How should we then live? Well, we've got four things he mentions here. He says, number one, we need to be found of him in peace. Number two, without spot. Number three, blameless. And number four, accounting that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Now, That's what we need to focus on in 2022, being found in him in peace, without spot and blameless, and considering that God's patience in dealing with the wicked is because he wants to bring more people into the kingdom. Now, what does that kind of life look like? Well, number one, to be found of him, you need to be in him, (laughs) all right? You need to be in him. And being in him requires that you repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again. If you are not born again today, when he returns, you will not be going with him. You will be left behind. And he doesn't want you to be left behind. I don't want you to be left behind. So if you've never repented of your sins, 
Do so. If you never put your faith in Christ, do so today, and then you'll be in Him, and then everything else here we can begin to apply to your life as well. Now, what does it mean to be found in peace without spot, and uh, to be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless? Well, to be in peace, the word peace here means to be in harmonious relationships with others. It means peace between individuals. In Romans chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, we read the first part of Romans 12 in our scripture reading. Seems like eons ago this morning. But in verses 18 through 21, we see clear commands from our Lord, our clear marching orders of those who have reckoned ourselves to be dead, to sin, alive to God, who are presenting ourselves as living sacrifices to Him because of all the mercy He's shown to us. Those of us who are not being conformed to this world but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. What are we supposed to do? If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. All men. Believers, unbelievers. Godly people, wicked people. And dearly beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Not your job. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. That's a good thing, by the way, not a negative thing. So like, I'm going to be nice to you, give you something to drink. It'd be like coal on your head. No. The idea is, is when they would carry around coals back then, they, they didn't, you didn't have like a, like, you, know, you couldn't have a fire in your, in your home. So they'd have to have these coals that where they'd cook and where they'd do things. And so you would go into the, you know, to the market and you'd get the coals and you'd bring them back to the house. Well, you know, the idea is, is you know, you give them, somebody putting a bunch on your head was a huge benefit because, you know, now you had a lot of heat. You could cook and you could stay warm. And it was, these are positive things, not negative things. Do not be overcome by evil. That's a command. You're not allowed to let evil defeat you. But instead, overcome evil with good. Also a command. We're to overcome evil with good. That's what it means to be found in peace. To be blameless and without spot, it means that which cannot be critiqued or disapproved. We should not be living in such a way that God would disapprove of how we're living. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it tells us, and let us not be weary in well-doing. Listen, I get it. I get it. You see all the nonsense out there, and it it's wipes you out mentally. But we must not become weary in doing the right things. For in due season we shall reap if we don't faint. Therefore, how do we, what are we supposed to be doing? Therefore, how do we not faint? As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Our brothers and sisters in Christ and also the lost, the wicked, do good to all men. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, listen, guys, let not your heart be troubled. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you're gonna have tribulation. It's part of, part of it comes with the territory. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus did it, and he's living inside of us, guys. We don't have to do things like the rest of the world does. We can overcome it, amen? amen. And then lastly, accounting that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus said, he said, listen, the night is coming when no man can work. While it's still day, I've got work to do. I know you might look out there and you say, it's dark, Pastor Will. It is. I go. I know. The night is coming. That's what we've been talking about, the convergence. The night's coming. But it's not here yet. It's still day out. There's still work to do. Our Heavenly Father has work He wants to do through us. We, we, cannot, we cannot bunker down, hunker down, batten down. We're to go into the highways, into the byways, and to make disciples. That's the Great Commission. That's what we're called to do. The night may be coming, but the day is still here. It's time to work. And so in Romans chapter 12, as we closed out our scripture reading with verse 12 this morning, it has a very encouraging command to us, a challenging command to us, one we need to uphold in 2022. He says, number one, we need to be rejoicing in hope. Guys, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We have an expectation that God is at work. 
Don't you believe that God still wants to save Orlando and all the suburbs in Central Florida? Don't you believe that? Don't you believe that God still wants to rescue your neighbors and your coworkers? We leave here today, and there's a sign over the door that says, you're now entering the mission field. We are ambassadors, and we have a great message. And Jesus is still wanting to work on hearts. The Holy Spirit's still here. So we're to be rejoicing with an expectation, a hope. We're to be patient in tribulation. Is there tribulation? Loads of it. But we're to endure. And lastly, it says continuing instant in prayer. It doesn't say continuing instant in posting. It doesn't say continuing instant in listening to all the podcasts so I can know what's going on. It says continuing instant in prayer. We closed out our study in Ephesians at the 2021 talking about the importance of prayer. Guys, let's make 2022 a year where we pray for the lost. You know, where we pray for our city. Where we pray that God will empower us to be faithful ambassadors for him. Amen? I want to leave you with a quote from Joel Rosenberg in his January 8th prophecy update because his closing words reflect my heart exactly. He said this, let's pray for true spiritual revival to sweep through the church. Let's pray that he, Jesus, purifies Christian leaders from corruption and confusion and distraction. And let's pray that Jesus purifies lay people, you and me, in, to hunger for his word, to hunger to become more faithful disciples, to walk more faithfully in the power of the Holy Spirit, and to boldly and courageously seek to fulfill the great commission. If we make that our prayer for 2022, I don't care what darkness is going on around us. Jesus is going to send revival to Orlando, and we'll get to be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Oh, Lord, how I long to be different. I read these words, and they are deeply convicting and deeply challenging to me. I want to be different than the world. And you've called us, Lord. You said that we can be. You said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world already. I've already defeated the world. I can live through you. I can do this. So Lord, we ask now that you would do that, that you would get a deeper hold of us and live through us, that we'd be faithful representatives for you, that we'd accurately reflect who you are and show this world something supernaturally different than what they can find everywhere else. Lord, let us be those supernatural witnesses that the disciples were in the book of Acts that turned the world upside down. Lord, would you turn our cities upside down, our our suburbs upside down, our neighborhoods upside down, our families upside down, like those in Thessalonica accused Paul and others of doing in their city. Lord, would you use us to see salvation happen We choose to be faithful to the Great Commission, Lord, to live in peace without blame and spotless, Lord, knowing that when you return, if we're doing so, it means we're enduring to the end, that you'll find us being faithful. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.